Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Humans of Heritage. I am your host, Adam Gilfillan. I am extremely excited to be here again with you today uh, with a, a guest that I, I can't wait to learn more about. Uh, we were talking before the camera started rolling and, and discovered who her husband uh, is. And he was a basketball ref uh, that I had many years ago and uh, always enjoyed uh, being around him and ba basketball games. And so now I can't wait even more to hang out with his wife here and talk about life with her and, and uh, her journey through this life. Um, before we get into that interview, if you haven't had a chance uh, to see any of our previous episodes, uh, we've already interviewed a principal, a teacher, twin students from India, and, uh, and there have been some incredible stories, incredible feedback. And so if you have a chance uh, to, to listen to those episodes, go ahead and do that. And who knows, maybe someday you might be a guest here on Humans of Heritage, and, uh, and I would absolutely love to hear your story. Uh, but today's story, I'm excited about. I told you I, I know who her husband is, and it's my first time having an opportunity to meet her and uh, reading a bit of her story and the journey to get to where she is today, the challenges, the, the, um, the discovery as a kid about what she wanted to be, all those kinds of things rolled up into the story I think will inspire you, will encourage you. And as I always say, I believe that stories have the ability to change lives, to impact people. And, uh, and I think today's story will do that for many of you uh, watching and listening. So uh, would you join me today in welcoming our guest, Annie Slight. Annie, welcome to Humans of Heritage. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, we talked a bit before, as I said, and uh, we discovered that you started at Richelieu Valley High School right after I left Richelieu Valley High right. School. And I believe you started here at, when it became Heritage. Uh, probably in my last time really being here, helping out coaching uh, in basketball. And, uh, and then we discovered Norm, your husband, uh -huh. was a VP here before. I knew him not as the VP. I knew him as a uh, really good referee mm -hmm. uh, in basketball and spent many uh, December classics or January classics at the Polyvalente in St. Bruno, mm -hmm. getting to know him in that, in that format. Uh, but I'm excited to, to get to know a little bit more about you today. As I mentioned previous, that... Uh, I had a chance to read a bit of your story and to know a little bit about uh, who you are. To start, I would love to just for you to let people know, one, a little bit more who you are, what you do here at Heritage, mm -hmm. how long you've been here, and maybe even a bit of the journey to get here. And then we'll talk about some more things as we go along. So let everybody know who, who you are. So uh, kids know me as Miss Slight. Okay. I'm Annie Slight. I work in the planning room here. I'm part of Student Services. Okay. Um, so my day is never the same. I never know who's going to walk through the door. I deal with students, uh, whatever they need. I'm pretty much one of these people. I'm not by myself. Uh, I'm one of these people. Uh, students sent out of class for whatever reason, students feeling anxious, some issues with friends. Uh, whatever they need, I'm one of these people that, you know, the kids walk through my door and then uh, we deal with whatever the issue is. So that's, that's pretty much what I do here. I started in high school uh, 25 years ago okay. at Penfield Academy in Brossard. Um, loved it. Very, very small school, 240-something students. So very different from yes. here where <laughs> we have 1,700 and change. Um, then it closed, so I moved to Richelieu Valley Regional. And uh, then that closed. So then we merged here with McDonald Cartier, and that mm. became Heritage uh, in 2003. And I've been here since. Awesome, awesome. Um, for many of us, we, as kids, we have this dream of doing something with our future. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I'm sure at one point in my life I want to be a wrestler, but 
you know, these biceps don't <laughs> do that kind of work. But, um, but in reality, we, we dream about being something. And mm -hmm. I know for you, for a long time, you wanted to be an elementary school teacher. Yeah. What was it about being an elementary school teacher that said, you know, I, I want to do that with my life? Um, I was a good student. Um, shy, I'm not anymore, but I was shy. I was a good student. I had a younger brother. And I just, from, I would say, grade one, as I was learning, I started teaching him. He was about mm -hmm. two and a half years younger than me. Mm -hmm. uh, so I started just teaching him, and I just continued through, and it just became, I loved it. It just became a passion, and I just thought, you know, that's what I'm going to do. And I grew up, up until CJEP, thinking mm -hmm. that was my career path. Yeah. But then it wasn't. <laughs> was there a specific subject that you liked, or just teaching in general? Just teaching in general. I just enjoyed, you know, teaching. Yeah. I enjoyed learning and I enjoyed teaching. Awesome. Um, and I know you, you went off to school mm -hmm. to become a teacher, well at first to become a teacher, but you at discovered first, yeah. um, psychology. Yes, in CJEP. In CJEP. Mm -hmm. And you decided to make a career change, possibly. Possibly. I thought I just discovered a passion. Yeah. I loved everything, mental health, anything, you know, helping people. So I thought, well, this is it. Mm -hmm. So I applied uh, to university, uh, University of Montreal in psychology. I got in and uh, off I went. Yeah. But then that wasn't it. <laughs> so what changed? I know you said to me that you couldn't imagine yourself just sitting in an office right. and, and doing that for a living. So mm -hmm. what, what about that was, that made you say, you know, because you're working around people. Yes. And, 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 you know, yes, being in an office, but it would still be around people and possibly encouraging teaching, you know, revealing some things to people. So what about that specifically where you're like, I just don't think that's the right fit for me. Part of it was uh, the schooling, what you had to go through to be a psychologist. Mm -hmm. So the three years of the bachelor's degree was only theory. There was no, no stages, no internships. And I thought, oh my God, like this is, th I felt it was heavy. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I don't even know if I'm going to like it because I'm not doing anything in terms of, you know, job training, mm -hmm. if, if you want. Um, so I was like, no, I just felt it was heavy and uh, I didn't know anything about psychoeducation. Yeah. Uh, not many people do. It's, yeah. it's actually a, a program only offered in Quebec. It started okay. in Quebec. And as of now, as far as I know, it's still only offered in Quebec. I literally found a pamphlet on a table in a cafeteria wow. that really, you know, when things are meant to be yes. sometimes, um, I just found a pamphlet and I started reading and I'm, oh my God, now this is it. Now I know this mm -hmm. is it. You know, they talked about, you can work with youth, you can work with, with families, you can work with parents, you can work with elderly, you can, and I was like, oh my God, like just working amongst people yeah. and helping being that person. Uh, so yeah, it just, that was it and it's been it. So, so again, you, you went to psychology, mm -hmm. couldn't see that as a future, mm -hmm. but you found psychoeducation yes. and, and you knew that there was a desire to help people Absolutely. and to work alongside, not just an individual, but their families as well. Yes. So I know that you went into, um, working with children with autism. I did. And was that at a, at a school you did that? Uh, yeah, I was finished. Actually, I did uh, three different stages throughout my bachelor's. Both uh, hired me, but I was mm. part-time. I was still studying. And right after I finished my bachelor's, I continued working a bit part-time. And then there was a job offer at Giant Steps okay. uh, School at the time in Westmount. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, why not? I had no experience in autism, but I mean, I had, I had training. And mm -hmm. so I said, let me, just, uh, let me just try that. So when I... 
left the South Shore to move to Ontario, I worked with um, some different group homes and working with individuals who had, you know, from high functioning lifestyles to they need every bit of help, you yeah. know, to feeding, to bathing, mm -hmm. to changing, all that kind of stuff. And it, it was a challenge. And I'll, I'll be honest to say, in my early 20s, I would, I would call home sometimes with tears saying, I don't know if I'm cut out to mm -hmm. do this. Like, I, I remember some of the individuals that I worked with, and I was, I'm thankful for the opportunity that I had, right. um, but I, it wasn't what I saw my life mm -hmm. in, in that direction, I should say. And I, and I realized just, you know, how difficult and challenging that was for me emotionally to, to work in this lifestyle. So for you, working with, with students who potentially could be more challenging than working mm -hmm. with students who would just be here at school. Right. Students with autism. Tell me what it was like on a day-to-day -day almost. Like, what, what was that experience for you working with students that, that it's not just your everyday, you know, high school students? Mm -hmm. Well, every day was very different. Yes. Uh, we had children that were, you know, five, six years old, and we had teenagers up to around 17, 18. So uh, how it worked at the time is that I was assigned one or two students, and I would bring them to their, uh, to their elementary school mm -hmm. in their, where they lived uh, for a couple of days a week or half days, depending on every child. And the rest, I would be at giant steps, yeah. uh, just shadowing pretty okay. much, uh, accompanying through different uh, activities or therapies. Okay. So uh, it was, um, let's just say it prepared me for pretty much anything yes. uh, that this, this field of work can, uh, can bring. Um, I loved it. Mm -hmm. I met just wonderful people. I mean, that was, we're talking early to mid-90s, and I'm still in touch with some of them. Yes. Uh, so it was just, uh, such a great time in my life. I learned so, so much. It mm -hmm. was challenging psychologically, physically. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get bitten sometimes, you mm -hmm. get kicked, you got my hair, hair pulled. I, you know, it's a lot. It, it yeah. was a lot, but yet so rewarding. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I learned so much. I met families, I've met children that I still remember to this day. Awesome. Yeah. I, I have a friend, uh, Anna White. She, uh, she works a lot with kids with autism okay. and was a part of an organization called Awesome that, that uh, helped students or kids on that spectrum to get into sports and even uh, hopefully get them into sports with kids who aren't on the spectrum to right. try and integrate them into that yeah. life, which I thought is incredible work. And I know that this month being Autism Awareness mm -hmm. Month, and, and uh, I'm curious, you, you say you, you learned some mm -hmm. things. And, and even going into the job, you, you said, I didn't really ever have any experience working with, with people with autism. Oh, so, yeah. so what were some of the biggest takeaways, some of the things that you learned as you were working in that environment? Um, good question. I think uh, going with the flow, because you never knew, right? There was mm -hmm. different challenges like throughout the days. Uh, being flexible, mm -hmm. setting limits and boundaries. Um, and being assertive, because mm -hmm. um, some of these kids, you know, I mean, they're, they're just, they were just wonderful. Like, I, I, you know, I remember, I'm think, as, as I'm talking to you, I'm remembering some of them. And it was, uh, I just loved them. Mm -hmm. And I learned to care for the, these, these humans that, you know, weren't my children, but almost felt like they were when they yeah. were with me. Because, you know, I, I was very protective and I was very, very invested uh, mm -hmm. in their lives. And I mean... You know, it just it just prepared me for for my career. Yeah, I find. Yeah. What well, What would you say at the end of the day? You're driving your car back home. 
you can look back at that day and say, today was a good day. What, what, was, what was it that made a good day? Because you say that you could be bit, you could have oh, things, Oh, yeah, I mean, right? it, it so happened. So those are yes. difficult moments. Absolutely. So for you, what was the moment where it was, today was a really good day? A smile from the child. Yeah. The child reaching, grabbing my hand. Yeah. Uh, small success in school. Mm-hmm tiny smallest improvement but uh, that I knew for them it was a big effort uh, parents writing me a note mm -hmm. because we would at the time you know no phones no anything Absolute, nothing like yeah. that so it was like you know through a journal like writing back and forth okay, you know she had a tough night or whatever and then I would write back and to just write like oh my god like last week we had a difficult time and now we redid this activity and it went so well and just to send that home and knowing that those parents who you know face challenges would get such good news like that was just yeah. highlights so one more question about mm -hmm. that school and, and that time of your of your life um, for many individuals we can go through a lot of our life not experiencing having to work with somebody who has autism mm -hmm. and maybe even sometimes not even associate with them not right. intentionally because we just might not know somebody for somebody who is you know um, having a conversation with somebody who would be on that spectrum, you know, what are some things that are, that we should know as individuals when, you know, having that kind of friendship or building a friendship with somebody who would be on the spectrum? What are some things that can help us do that better, maybe? You know, I don't necessarily see like, okay, this person has autism. I just mm. see a person. Yeah. And, sure. and sometimes, you know, we're all different, right? We all communicate differently. Yes. We all go through emotions differently. So just kind of going with where they are and how they communicate and yeah. understanding that sometimes, you know, there could be some cues that maybe they may miss. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, to me, it's, it's people. Mm -hmm. It's humans. And, yeah. you know, they're just, yeah, they have their differences, but don't we all? Yeah. And, uh, no, yeah, just, true. you know, yeah. I... I I have this one, um, he's now in his 20s, but uh, I've known him since he was, you know, 16 years old. His name is Spencer, and, and he would be on that spectrum, and he's very high-functioning. We're probably and, thinking of the same Spencer. <laughs> and, uh, and, but Spencer is, uh, you know, I get FaceTime phone calls from him all the time. Like, we're still friends, and we go to movies together, all that kind Amazing. of stuff. And, uh, and it's, it is a very, I, I enjoy my time with him, and I, but I, what sure. I, I love what you say, which is how I see Spencer, is... There's nothing different. He's a person. Exactly. And I, and I think sometimes what happens is we put people into boxes mm -hmm. and, we, and we, so to speak, you know, segregate them in a sense. Yeah. But, but in reality, we are, are, I think what happens to us that we do wrong is that we do that where we should just see people, like you said, as people. Yeah. And we approach them that way. Sure, there might be certain things that, you know, work for different people, of but that's course. every person. Exactly. You know, yeah. so uh, I appreciate you sharing a bit about your work there. Um, how would, how has that prepared you for where you are now working in a high school, working with students who maybe had a bad day and they're, you know, sent out of class mm -hmm. or whatever? How, how has that helped you? Um, I think the daily challenges that we faced and the unknown, mm -hmm. because like I said, you know, I had different students that I would do different things with. Yeah. So I never kind of knew, like, is it a good day? Is it a bad day? How was their night? How was their morning? So I kind of never knew really what my day was going to look like. Am yeah. I going to have, you know, is it going to be successful? Is it going to be uh, more challenging? Is mm -hmm. it, you know? So I think that that aspect of it just 
transferred into my work here, never knowing what my day is going to look like and yeah. just taking kids as they come in, as they're feeling and just taking it from there. Yeah. Um, I think for students, in my experience, and I think I talked about this with uh, one of my previous interviews, and uh, the idea of trust, mm -hmm. that for them to to trust you, mm -hmm. um, it takes a few things on our end to, to show that they can trust us. Absolutely. What, what do you think has been the best asset or tool for you to develop that trust between you and students? I think um, I listen well. Okay. And I think that students know I'm on their side okay. at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I may not always be happy with, yeah. you know, whatever, but... Uh, I think they know I'm fair mm -hmm. and I listen to them. Kay. I like to hear their side of whatever, whatever happened, whatever the story is. And I always tell them, I'm here for you. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll go through a wall for you, but you got to do your part. Yeah. I can do it for you. So I think it's really a partnership. I see my job as really a partnership with, with the students. It may be very challenging at first. You know, when you just meet them, it's you got to build that trust, right? Mm -hmm. You got to. But I think that showing up for them and showing them that you know I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to do my best to help you. I'll advocate for you. Mm -hmm. But you got to work with me. Like we'll become partners. Mm -hmm. So I think that that goes a long way into building trust. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I've seen you know, students, you know, not be able to respond to one person mm -hmm. and respond to a different person. Absolutely. And a lot of it comes through the ability to listen. And it doesn't even mean that that other person doesn't want to listen. It's just maybe not connecting with the, the student in front of oh, them. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, it, it could happen that at some point I, I meet a student and, you know, it just it doesn't really click. It's not like, you know, they don't like me. I don't like yeah. them. It's just that sometimes, you know, there's more affinity with somebody else. And by all means, you know, I'm not here for my ego. I'm yeah. not here to be popular. I'm not, it's just, it's just human nature. So, yeah. you know, that's why it's important to work as a team and to recognize as a team that sometimes, you know, we may switch it up a little bit and that's perfectly fine. I asked this question to your principal. Um, and so I'm curious to know your answer. If your career ended today, Right. Okay. Again, there's no announcement here. She's not <laughs> no, leaving, right? Nothing. But if your career were to end today, what do you hope people would say about you? I would hope they would say that I cared okay. and that I worked for them, mm -hmm. with them and for them, okay. that I was a good advocate. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Um, and you've been here how long? Early 2000s, correct? Yeah. When, we, when it became heritage. So I want to transition a little bit outside of education mm -hmm. and more into your life. Yeah. And, and there's a story attached to your life, there as is. we all do. Mm -hmm. um, but I know that, it, you know, 2013, things changed. There was this idea of, I know the direction my life is going mm -hmm. in. I'm excited about the direction yeah. maybe going in, right? And and all of us plan and all of us have these expectations and, you know, I'm going to do this and do that. And sometimes on the road to those dreams, we hit a wall mm -hmm. and sometimes life tries to take us out a little bit. Yeah. Tell our audience today in 2013, what changed your life? In uh, 2013, I was in my early 40s. I was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, Totally unexpected. I was, you know, younger than the traditional 
breast cancer patient that we hear of or that we know. Mm -hmm. um, no family history, nothing like that. Uh, so I just, you know, came to work on a Thursday, went home, and on a Friday, I was diagnosed and I returned a little over a year later. I just had to leave and take care of my, my health. Yeah. So obviously I, I, I can only imagine mm -hmm. the hearing the words that you have cancer. Yeah. You're by yourself. I don't know when you first heard with a doctor. Uh, uh, my uh, husband was with me, thankfully. Okay. Yeah. For both you and your husband, but more specifically for you because you're here what is that feeling when you hear the doctor say those words to you? You know, you've probably seen that commercial where people get a cancer diagnosis and you see kind of them flying backwards. Yeah. Like, you know, that it's, it's pretty much accurate. Yeah. Um, I just, I just got panicky. I panicked. I, mm. and I had to, you know, at some point, because I was thinking, you know, I may die, mm -hmm. and I'm so young, and I don't want to die. Mm -hmm. And then I, I just mustered the courage to, to ask the doctor, uh, am I going to die from this? Mm -hmm. uh, and he told me no. Okay. And from then on, I knew I wasn't going to die. Okay. I just, he told me no, and I, that was it. Mm -hmm. But then he said I would have to do chemotherapy and undergo surgeries and, th and chemotherapy, I mean. You know, mm -hmm. nobody wants to hear that they're going to have to do chemotherapy. It's, it's, now I talk about it because, you know, it's been a few years, but it's still that, that big word, right? Yeah. The hair loss, the, you know, uh, so that really, uh, that really hit me really, really hard. So you go home that first night, you're laying in bed. <sighs> yeah. Probably not sleeping. Oh, no, <laughs> not, not, not at all. What? I know you said, you know, am I going to die from this? And you spoke to the doctor. But, but that first night, what are you thinking? You know, they, after the initial diagnosis, they told me that they would have to look at my body, my bones, my organs, and all that to make sure it had metastasized. Mm -hmm. So that was scary. Mm -hmm. So it was just the thought of just uh, don't let it be. Don't let it be that. Just let it be local mm -hmm. so that it's treatable. Yeah. Um, so it was just, it was just fear. It was intense fear and, uh, crippling anxiety, honestly, for the yeah. first, I would say couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the process or the timeline for, you know, diagnosed to I'm healthy? Okay. Well, it's, it's a, it's a very long process sure. with breast cancer. Some people don't necessarily realize, but, uh, in my case, um, I was diagnosed actually in April of 2013. Mm -hmm. Uh, started chemo at the end of April, ended in October. Mm -hmm. But then I was on another intravenous medication. So I was in cancer treatment, like intravenous uh, medication for 15 months total. Mm -hmm. uh, I, under, I underwent uh, a few surgeries, I believe five, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So I left in April 2013, came back to work progressive April 2014. I was still in treatment, still had to undergo some surgeries, but I said, you know, I want to come back even if it's one or two days a week until the end of the school year, I just want to come back slowly, mm -hmm. uh, which I did. Yeah. And then in 2014, um, I was back uh, full time. I'm still uh, on medication. Okay. There's medication I had to take for 10 years. Okay. I got a couple of years yes. left. <laughs> so yeah, so it's a very, very long process, but I mean, I'm, I'm super healthy. I'm, uh, I'm what we call NED, no evidence of disease. Okay. 
because breast cancer, people think you do the treatment. After five years, you're good. Breast cancer is not cancer like that. It's something that you're always at increased risk of it mm -hmm. coming back, sadly. Uh, but, you know, as, as every time I get a scan or, you know, any testing, whatever, and I'm told that it's NED, no evidence of disease, it's, I feel like it's a rebirth. And I'm good to go for another six months until wow. my, my next appointment. So, yeah. Well, I'm really happy to hear that things are Thank going you. well. Um, in, the, in this journey, yes. uh, and it's one of the reasons why I love what we're doing with this project with, with Humans of Heritage, because I, I do believe that stories and people's story have the ability to impact others. Oh, absolutely. That, that your story, and I know this has happened for you, that yeah. you become an advocate for those mm -hmm. who have gone through this. Mm -hmm. Our story helps others to be able to cope, to be able to have hope, all of those kinds of yeah. things. But in those, you know, months, even maybe a couple of years of going through different things, mm -hmm. for you and even for your, your, your spouse, mm -hmm. where was your support system? Was it friends, family, you know, like where did you go for that encouragement to get you through the long days that were pretty difficult? I'm happy you asked that question. Uh, my husband was just, to this day, he hasn't missed an appointment. That's awesome. That's my husband. Uh, so definitely him on a day-to-day, -day, you know, minute by minute. My mom, who's a retired nurse. Okay. So I had to get injections, you know, after treatments and a bunch of things like that. And my mom was just driving that half hour to, to come and give me the injections and cook. And so definitely, I would say these two people were just, you know, they're my co-survivors. Yeah. They're, uh, they're people that were there with me along the way that are still there with me. Um, you know, you, I think you learn a lot about people, about who your, your friends are who's there for the long run, who's there even if it's raining, mm -hmm. you know? So got really new friends out of this. Uh, got rid of some friends yeah. along the way. Uh, you know, you just learn a lot about people, like how they are with you at your lowest, lowest, lowest moments. Mm -hmm. So, And I can't imagine that would be easy having to let go of some friends because uh, the reason why they're friends is because they mean something to you. Exactly. It's, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Having to let go or having them let go mm -hmm. uh, was very, very, you know, you're, you're grieving a lot. You, yeah. We mourn a lot uh, during that time, the hair loss and I mean all the surgeries. And so there's, there's a lot that goes away that you grieve for, mm -hmm. uh, but also having to grieve like, the people you thought were going to be by my side, like not being there, yeah. that really added to, to, to the daily challenges. And, you know, unfortunately, I hear, I speak to a lot of women and so many women, uh, sometimes, you know, husbands leave them and, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very challenging. I'm assuming when you first came back to, to work after going through some treatments and even mm -hmm. progressing with treatments along mm -hmm. the way, staff would, would know that you know, Absolutely. this is what you're going through. Yes. Uh, I'm curious to know about students. You know, did, right. did they know right from the beginning that this happened? Like when you, when a teacher leaves, you know, what happened to what our happened? teacher? Yeah, exactly. Right? When, a, when a staff member yes. leaves, what, what happened? So um, I guess both staff and students, I'm curious to know what heritage was like for you during this process. Yeah. The staff, I know you have incredible staff here at the school and Absolutely. very supportive yeah. um, staff. 
but I'm curious to know, you know, how you felt, and, and I'd love to know, you know, that connection with students that this journey brought you towards, right? Right. That kind of stuff. Um, I left at the end of the year, okay. well, April. Yeah. Uh, and when I came, and I had very long hair when I came back the following April, my hair was obviously very short, was yes. growing back, you know, so that was kind of an indicator, you know, the physical aspect. Uh, some parents did find out because uh, honestly, I wasn't in any frame of mind to just email people or, yeah. uh, but I know that some parents were, were wondering and were, were asking and, uh, I've been, I've always been very open and vocal about what happened. So it's not something that I announced, mm -hmm. but it's something that the school knew that if, if anybody's asking or if people are wondering, the whole staff knew I would get, I would be getting cards by mail and mm. emails and the principal would call me all the time <laughs> to, uh, and I remember actually when I called and the principal uh, was Kim Barnes yes. at the time and she, because I had come to visit, you know, from time to time I would come to visit, and uh, she says, tell me this is the phone call that I've been waiting for. <laughs> and I says, I said this, I think this is the phone call that you've been waiting for. And she said, you're coming back. I said, I'm coming back. Mm -hmm. And she wrote the nicest email that I still, I kept, yeah. uh, you know, telling the staff that I was on my way back to work on a part-time, and uh, I mean, I was greeted with flowers and post-its. I kept everything, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah, feeling that, that family atmosphere, feeling that people were genuinely, you know, to be told that heritage wasn't the same when you weren't here. Yeah. Like, that's that's big, you know, yeah. like that. I remember everything that was said to me. I remember how much it meant to me because yeah. it really did. Yeah, well, and I was going to ask that. To, to hear a principal say the words, like, is this, is this the is phone this call the I've been waiting call? for? Yeah. Knowing that, you know, this, this principal is so excited for your journey to, yeah. to bring you back here. What yeah. does that make you feel to know that staff are, are so excited for you to get back at some point. Well, I knew they were. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? It was never a doubt that, you know, do they miss me or, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it meant so much. Mm -hmm. It meant that I was coming back to, uh, to my family. That's awesome. You know, so, That's yeah. really good. And, and I don't want to just rush over it, but, but I, you know, I know time is a little bit on, on, not on our side right. today. But I'm curious to know, you, you said that, um, you've now become a, you know, a voice right. for individuals who have gone through what mm -hmm. you or are going through what you've gone through. Yes. So what, what does that look like? How did that journey start for you and why did you accept that responsibility? Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little briefly because sure. I know time is, is running, but uh, so in a nutshell, yeah. there's a risk factor for breast cancer. Okay. People think you know family history, but the vast majority of us don't have any family history. Mm -hmm. uh, breast density is a very significant factor, actually more important than uh, a family history of breast cancer. It puts us at higher risk. It's just how breasts are made of, pretty mm -hmm. much. It's all normal, yeah. but breast density increases your risk of breast cancer and also can uh, have the cancer be missed on a mammogram, which is what happened to me. Okay. There was cancer, I had a mammogram, uh, couldn't see it because of dense tissue. Okay. So without going into all the medical yeah. uh, lingo, um, so the issue is that in Quebec, women are still not told if they have dense breast tissue and they're not aware that cancer may be missed on a mammogram and they're not aware that the risk of cancer is increased by having okay. dense breasts. Yeah. And that's pretty much what I've been adv advocating for uh, for the past four years, uh, you know, meeting with uh, political officials, mm -hmm. 
doing some media interviews, uh, just advocating for breast density notification. That's, okay. you know, women need to know and uh, they need to, uh, to advocate for themselves. Now, I, we hear all the time, you know, the warning to, to, for women to get checked. Mm -hmm. Do you think or feel that they take that seriously? Or is it still something that needs to be to, to have individuals reminded, hey, make sure you're getting yourself checked? I think there's a fear. Some women, oh, is it going to hurt? Uh, or what if they find something? Yeah. Maybe I don't want to know because it's scary, right? For sure. Um, but so I think, yeah, there needs to be reminders. I yeah. think screening needs to start younger than what the program in Quebec, yeah. uh, you know, because it starts at 50 and that's really too late. It yeah. should start at 40 yeah. uh, and earlier for people with other risk factors. Um, so yeah, there needs to be reminders and there needs to be uh, knowledge and information communicated to women so that they know uh, that yes, it can happen before 50 mm -hmm. and you know, mammograms should be done yearly. You need to know your breast density. You need to understand all of that so that you can make informed decision. Okay. And that's pretty much my, my, my other full-time job, yeah. you know, I'm here during the day and at night and weekends, you know, I do a lot of social media, a lot of advocacies and, you know, meetings and things like that. So for anybody who is watching and listening mm -hmm. to this episode, um, to start that process of discovering and finding out, you know, or testing, I should say, yeah. where do they start? Okay, well, in Quebec, uh, when you turn 50, you'll get that letter saying that now you're in the program and uh, it's every two years you get a mammogram up to 69. Okay. That window should be much, much, much okay. wider. Uh, and women don't know that at 40, they can actually, the, the decision to get start screening is theirs okay. to make, not their doctors. So okay. even if the doctor refuses, you have a right to get screened okay. for breast cancer. Most lives are saved when uh, screening is done yearly as of 40. Mm -hmm. So women don't know that they're not told. They're told every two years as of 50. Uh, after 69, again, it's your choice to continue and you definitely should continue yeah. because breast cancer in, you know, increases with age and uh, it's really important to continue past 69 also. And again, it's your choice to advocate. Mm -hmm. You'll need a, um, a medical uh, referral from your doctor yeah. in Quebec, that's mandatory, but it, it is your choice. So okay. be proactive and be assertive and uh, yeah, Google Dense Breast Canada, and I yeah. mean, you'll find all kinds of, uh, good. of good information. Bre was it Breast Dense Canada? Dense Breasts Dense? Okay. Canada. Okay, all right. There's a website, there's a Facebook, I mean, okay. very... Uh, now, I, I want to say, first of all, I'm, I'm really thankful for you being transparent with your story Thank and you. sharing some things that are personal. Of course. Um, and, uh, and allowing, you know, staff, students, and beyond to hear um, your journey. As, a, as an educator, as you know, somebody who's gone through some tough moments in life. Um, but one question I love to ask, yes. and, I, and I told you that I'd be asking this mm -hmm. question, and, and that is, if you can go back to high school you. Now I know, again, you've been through some things in life, mm -hmm. and so you've learned a lot about what life looks like for you. Yes. From what was supposed to be, to what it became, yes. to where it is now. Mm -hmm. If you can go back to high school you and ask yourself, tell yourself about life, what would you say? You did tell me you were going to ask <laughs> me that. That's a tough one, but a really good one. Uh, I think the first thing that comes to mind would be trust your gut. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I had a feeling something was wrong, but I trusted my doctors and yeah. I should have, I should have pushed. I'm not blaming myself because I just didn't know. You don't know what you don't know, For right? Sure. But trust your gut, follow your gut, and uh, possibly you're stronger than you think you are. Okay. So hang in there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that stronger than you think you are. I, I heard a story recently. I was at a conference and they talked about this one individual. You know, the whole point of this illustration was we put ceilings on ourselves. Mm and prevent ourselves from doing more. And they talked about this one individual, and I won't try and pronounce his name, like I wouldn't be able to tell you, but he climbed Mount Everest. Okay. And everyone just thinks, okay, a lot of people have climbed Mount Everest, but yeah. you find out that he was blind, and he oh, climbed Mount wow. Everest. Okay. And I agree, you know, that oftentimes we can do more than we think we can. And we limit ourselves sure. way too often. Mm -hmm. um, but we should understand that when we feel like we had enough, we could probably go a little bit further. Oh, absolutely. And just a quick anecdote. I started CrossFit in my 50s. Okay. So, you know, like there's no, there's yes. no, there's no limits to, yes. to what we can accomplish. I have not done CrossFit <laughs> and it tells with my one rule here. That's what it is. Okay. But, uh, but again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and I hope that from this, um, people feel educated but also feel inspired and encouraged um, as, as they take on life's journey and what it throws at them. So I appreciate you being here with us uh, today. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, again, this has been Humans of Heritage. Uh, I am your host, Adam. Um, what a great story today from, from Annie, uh, from Miss Slight. <laughs> and okay. uh, and I'm, I'm really happy that she had the opportunity to share. Again, if you didn't write it down, go rewind it and go back and listen to some of the, uh, the advice she gave on, on getting yourself checked as, um, you know, as, as you reach that age of 40 uh, and, and beyond and, and know what you have rights towards. Um, but, but again, this is about people's story. This is about the stories from inside the walls of heritage and the lives that are, that are here, the lives that are shaping the culture in this school. And, uh, and my hope is that you've heard this story today that you would feel inspired to share your story. Uh, whether it be the successes in life, whether it be the, the, uh, the frustrating moments in life, that you'd feel strong and courage, courageous enough to share your story because your story needs to be heard because your story can change somebody's life. So again, thank you for listening to Humans of Heritage, and we will see you at our next episode. Thank you very much.